The Dealmakers, an Agora production podcast, is a unique platform to recognize top-performing real estate partners and discover more about how they make deals. This is your time to learn from the best. I'm your host, Asaf Raz. Here we go. Here we are at another episode of The Dealmakers, the people behind the deals. And today I'm very excited to have Trevor Thompson as a guest on our podcast. Trevor has extensive experience, actually 47 years of experience in attraction and entertainment industry, which he took into commercial real estate investing. He's an accredited investor in 15 active deals, a total of 17 and a GP on his first deal of 240 doors in San Antonio. This guy's been going wild on LinkedIn and I love seeing it. So yeah, Trevor, take it away. Tell us a bit about yourself. I'm super happy to have you with us. Yeah, very excited to be here. As you mentioned, I spent a lot of my career at the beginning in the entertainment attractions world, but sort of a strange side of it. So I worked for Ripley's Believe It or Not. Then I did 18 years with Guinness World of Records. And then I opened up a haunted house in Orlando, Florida. I'm originally from Niagara Falls, Canada. And then I got involved with iFly Indoor Skydiving for the last part of my career. And just for about 20 years there, and I opened 46 of our 80 worldwide locations. It it was a very exciting job. Wow. Wow. Ripley's Believe It or Not. I think I was there when I was about 13 or 14. Yeah. Usually a good experience. Awesome. I love it. It is. So yeah. So how how did you bounce into uh, commercial real estate? How does that happen to... uh... Yeah. So, you know, it's very interesting. I was always interested in real estate, but I wasn't really sure what, you know, I thought maybe I would become a realtor. Then I kind of liked shopping, like retail strip malls and I never really got too serious about it. And then actually at our very first staff meeting for the iFly, the owner gave everybody a copy of Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I went, oh, this is a whole new way to look at real estate. But I did what so many people did. I put that back on the shelf and just kept doing my job. And you know, just put my head down, kept working and working and working and working. And then finally, we got a little bit of a payday because we got bought out by a private equity company paid a lot of tax. And I thought, I remember I can save taxes. I can do all these things. Kind of gotten, haven't started any of it. I'm not a young chicken anymore. And so I just decided to start passively investing because I had no intentions of leaving my job because I loved it. So passive investing was a great way for me to do it and to start to build my net worth and get some passive income going. I feel like, uh, I don't know if you know, I, I know you know Joel Fine. You know Joel Fine. You met yeah, him before. Yeah, good friend. Uh, yeah. I've invested in a lot of his deals and uh, made a lot of offers with Joel, in fact. Awesome. But we still haven't won a deal together. I, I love it. Hopefully it happens soon. Joel is a really great guy. And uh, and a friend of Joel is a friend of mine, honestly. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he was our first episode. But yeah, I remember Joel said um, almost the same thing. He said, well, I'm looking for you know, something to make me passive income. I don't want to work every day in my life for, for a full day and, you know, get a W2 job. That's more than enough for me. And uh, I want to do something different. And I feel like that's uh, something that pushes a lot of people into commercial real estate. They understand yeah. that, you know, creating wealth uh, is something that requires a lot of entrepreneurship, a lot of courage, and just making your money work, right? So I love that. So yeah, let's dive deep into uh, what you do, right? So how does a day in the life of a a GP look like today? How does your day look like actually? Yeah, so it's very different. So obviously, as I said, I started passively investing 
And even though I'm passive, I'm pretty active in what I invest in. Like I connect with a lot of people. I do a lot of things. And I'll be the active side of it is, but you know, finding the deals, getting everything, all the pieces to work together. It's definitely challenging. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I think I'm going to go on the active side. And I always tell them, first of all, you need to know how much hard work it is to get there. And secondly, they need to understand what the risk factor is. Um, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, as a passive investor, you have almost no risks at all, right? Um, the only risk really is maybe to lose your money or not get paid something, but very little risk on the active side. So, you know, the 240 deal that you mentioned, actually an update on that was after six months, we were unable to close on it. Oh. And as a group, we lost $350,000. All the investors got their money back. But on the active side, you take the risk. And of course, there are the rewards. So unfortunately, on my first big deal, um, I got a lot of the risks, not many of the rewards, other than every time something happens, you learn something. And so you learn more from your mistakes than from the things that go well. But you know, it's definitely a lesson learned for sure. Yeah. And this really takes me into the next question, which I like asking at the beginning, just because you know, we're not, we're all human beings. We all fail. We all make mistakes. And I think my biggest question right now is like, tell me about your biggest failures and, you know, what have you actually learned from them? What would you do differently? So it's definitely interesting that I would make sure that I was associated with people that had already done something like that again. You know, so our group, none of us had done that large of a loan assumption. We'd never gotten a third party prep equity stack, which I know is a little confusing to people, but it's kind of like private debt. And what really happened at the end of the day is the bank did not like the way that was worded, didn't want private debt behind them, and didn't approve us to assume that particular loan. So it's very frustrating. So I definitely learned that, you know, just like everywhere, you know, surrounding yourself with some people, they were experienced people I was with, but we just had never experienced that. You know, and a lot of my friends said, oh, it's terrible, but we got it done. So I thought, okay, terrible, we got it done. I can live with that. I'm okay with a little bit of terrible to get a good deal done. But unfortunately, it was a lot of terrible instead. <laughs> yeah, and it happens to the best of us. I think when I ask this question to other GPs, either, you know, big or small, I always get that. I remember that one deal that just didn't go through and, you know, I lost yeah. a lot of it. A lot of people go back to 08, which is a big yeah. memorable time for a lot of uh, syndicators and real estate professionals. But yeah, you learn a lot. And I think surrounding yourself with people that are knowledgeable and have done that before yeah. or know the risks is always a good thing. Again, Joel is a very great example of that. And now I want to kind of flip that over to something a little bit more positive. And what are you proud of the most? You know, so I think my resiliency, you know, the fact that at the end of the day, there are some really good things that happened out of something bad, right? You know, I learned a lot. I demonstrated to the people that invested with me that their money was safe, that I was taking the risk, not them. And so we returned their money. Um, and then I managed to move half of the people's money right over immediately to another deal that I got involved in, in in Columbia, South Carolina, you know, so that to be able to have that confidence was so reassuring, like for somebody to say, oh, you know, this one didn't go good, but we still believe in you, Trevor, and we're going to move your money along. That's a huge responsibility for me, you know, to be able to take their money and move it to another deal. You know, again, that was very rewarding to be able to do that. 
I assume, you know, the, it's a hard feeling specifically for the, for an investor, but knowing that you're keeping the money safe and the ability to move that to another deal, definitely resilience is big. Yeah. And I think it's also a mindset of an entrepreneur that, you know, has to be there. We stay resilient uh, and we keep, we keep pushing forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what this is, right? Yeah. It's the constant movement, constant looking at deals, constant, you know, everything. It's interestingly that it is a lot of work, but it's very enjoyable work, right? It's the, you know, the conquest of getting a deal is uh, very exciting. I love the, yeah, the excitement behind this is very big. So you talk about that there's a lot of hard work around this and hard work sometimes for a lot of people, it's too much. So you need a lot of drive, you need a lot of excitement. And I just want to know what excites you about this industry so much that makes you wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to work hard, but it's enjoyable. Like you said. I'm an interesting person that I, I love incremental improvements. And so that's all really you're doing with apartment investing, right? You're buying an apartment, you're adding some expenditures to be able to make it a nicer place. You're putting some better management practices in place. You know, you're doing all of these things and it's not something that you go in there, day one, do this, day two, something happens. It's not that at all. Normally it takes up to 18 months to get unstabilized property stable and producing certain cash flows. And I find that very fascinating, you know, the whole process of building the pieces, you know, so first you got to make the apartment place for something where a higher level of tenant would like to live. Then you have to improve the apartments to match what you want, you know, and it's this whole thing, that whole journey makes me feel good, right. To be able to go to an apartment complex and say, it's better today than it was yesterday because we've been doing the things to make it not only good for the investors, but better for the residents. You know, people want to live in a nice, clean, safe place. That's very basic need. I always hear that, you know, that there's a living, there's a housing problem in the U.S. right now. Yeah. And yeah, people want a place to live. And I love this kind of goal that you know, a lot of GPs are talking about, making places that are worth living and are safe and clean. Yeah. And yeah, that's a, an amazing goal. This is a great point of excitement. Goal. I want people to say I'm going home, not that I'm going to my apartment. Come over to my apartment. No, come over to my home. That's important for me. I really want, and it's hard to install, right, with people because they feel like they're just borrowing it and they're there. But I really want to try to create a sense of community where they feel like it's their, their home. It's their place. It's where they live. Wow. This is a very good one. I love it. I'm going to quote this, if you don't mind, in a near episode. So who are or were the people that influenced you the most and kind of pushed you into this industry? Yeah, so I've got a lot of people. At the very beginning, I joined a small mentoring program, and I'm still associated a few with the people that I started with that mentoring program and doing deals. And it's just one of the things that always amazed me was how welcoming people were. They realized that real estate is a team sport. You know, I was always willing and eager to help and do things and to learn. And I wasn't what they call the Monday morning quarterback that called up and said, why are all these bad things going with the deals? I said, hey, what could I help on? What could I do to just make it a little better? I want to learn more than just this. So I was even as a limited partner for 10 months in 2020, I was acting asset manager for a deal I was invested in. While it was a real struggle because COVID came and a lot of things happened, I learned a ton and I just never would have been able to learn that. And how I got to learn it was just calling up and saying, listen, I've got time. Do you need help? <laughs> and I ended up during COVID losing my job 
And so it worked out really well because it gave me that smooth transition into professional real estate person because you have to actively work on a project. And so I actively worked on it. And uh, we even ended up getting rid of our property management company. So we self-managed, which was a pretty big step for a guy brand new at doing it. But again, a lot of times you get thrown in the deep end and you you learn how to swim. <laughs> and you, you take the risk, you reap the rewards, right? Yeah. That's amazing. Awesome. So. Um, where do you kind of connect with other syndicators or partners and what are you looking for in a partner? Yeah. So I network a lot. I'm very active on social media. Yeah, I sources. see that. And, and what I try to do is I say, if you're looking to invest in the state of Texas and you're not here and you need boots on the ground, asset management, um, reach out to me. Um, that's how I got in the 240 deal. Someone else had actually secured the deal but I had been talking to them and talking to them. And I basically talked myself onto the team because they realized that they needed somebody in Texas to help them. It would let them fulfill what, their, what they needed to get done easier. So I do a lot of that type of networking. And then when I meet people, I spend some time and I think, okay, is this a team I'd like to work with? And if the answer is yes, then I put myself out there again for help. So, hey, if you find a deal and you underwrite it and it looks good, and you need somebody to go to do a tour of the property, I'm willing to do that. And I do it at my own expense, my own time. And my goal is if I help them secure that apartment complex and I prove to myself as a valuable partner to them that they're going to include me in the deal. You know, and there's a couple of people I've been doing it. I mean, we, we look at deals every week together and I know it's only a matter of time because this is a numbers game, right? You got to look at so many deals, make so many offers to finally get one very confident I will. And it's just being there and offering something that people need and then be willing to do whatever it takes kind of to, to make something happen and work out. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Okay. So what do you think are, and we're going a little bit into more industry questions, right? So what do you think are the current and upcoming challenges in the industry specifically for real estate partners or syndicators? So I definitely think that the change in the financing market, you know, with interest rates going up, and so what happened was back a few years ago, everybody wanted to get agency debt. It was stable. It was good debt. You know, there was lots of period of time. You could stay in it for the most of the period of the loan. But what happened lately is when things started changing, stable properties that would never, ever look at bridge debt all now all of a sudden got bridge debt because that's what made the deal work. And what I worry about is, you know, this musical chairs because at the end of the day, right, you got three years and two one-year extensions normally. And when those timeframes come up, if the market is similar to how it is now or doesn't improve significantly, you could find yourself in, in a really big problem, right, mm -hmm. where you're unable to read. Because bridge debt it, it is exactly what it means. It's a bridge. It gets you from here to there. And once you get there, you need to be ready to put what they call, you know, steady, reliable debt on the property and or sell it. And you've improved it enough to sell it to where the next buyer can get, I'm going to refer to as stable long-term debt on the property. So I think that's definitely a big thing that's happened. I also think that we've had a lot of accelerated uh, uh, rents. You know, rents have been going crazy. I live in Austin, you know, and everything has just gone crazy. And, you know, just like it will happen, it happened in New York and some of the other big cities, San Francisco and Los Angeles, where people are going to have to start moving further and further out of the city center 
to be able to get affordable housing. So it's creating some of its own problems, but it's also, you know, it's creating better places to live for people that couldn't necessarily get a nice place to live at what they were paying. And it's been a seller's market for a long time. And it'll be nice someday live through a buyer's market. Yeah, yeah, I've heard... I've heard people saying, yeah, brokers started to call me. They started to let me know about new deals and properties. It's like the market is shifting a little bit. I also hear a lot about the raise in in interest rates and the way that it's really hitting hard with the profit margins, which is where the syndicators live, right? And that profit margin. I think that the thing with paying back the loans, which you talked about, I think it's scary, right? If you get to a point where we, you know, someone can pay that back, right? The due date will come at one point. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's talking right now about secondary and tertiary markets and how that's going to be the next big thing. So I'm really hoping to see the economy bouncing back from that. But I do hear some a lot of people talking about the rates are going to keep raising till the end of 23, yeah. which is going to be a big challenge for a few of the syndicators out there with, you know, bridge loans. It definitely is. And I'd already switched to secondary markets. I was looking in Austin, I was looking in Dallas, and I was getting nowhere, nowhere close, right? And I was never confident to pay what people were paying. I just, I, I couldn't understand how they could justify, wow, they beat me by like a million dollars. Ah. This, we, we stretched everything we thought to the limit. Uh, I don't know what, what's going to happen with this. And so it was very interesting. So I switched to smaller markets. You know, I also switched. There's a, I say all the big boys look at 100 plus doors and all the little boys look for 36 and less. So I switched and started looking 36 to 100 just to try to find that little sweet spot niche where I could be competitive, at least be able to stand a chance to get to the finish line. Definitely. Yeah. It's, and again, it's going to be interesting times. I'm happy that I'm following this industry with this podcast as I go, because I always hear new things and ideas and, you know, people are trying to find new niche. So it's really, yeah. really awesome. So we'll talk a bit about what I call growth hacks, right? And this is where uh, we talk about some of the things that you're doing to kind of enable yourself to grow. And yeah, let's start with that. What are some things that you've done uh, to prepare yourself or push yourself for the growth of your firm or for yourself as a partner? Yeah, so I'm an avid, I don't. I say reader, but I'm really a listener. I listen to audio books and I look at a lot of properties. So I'm driving quite a bit and I'm averaging about a hundred books a year. And that's reading, some, listening to some of them a couple of times to make sure they sink into my thick skull. So I've turned my car into a university. So people think, oh, why are you driving all the way to Dallas for a meetup? Um, like to me, it's like three hours of school driving up there, and you know, and I really enjoy the books. And sometimes I'll have a couple of going at a time. Like if they're really deep, I gotta stay in it, or if they're, you know, so I'll move around. But I listen to a lot of books, and then uh, when anybody else anywhere recommends a book, if I kind of respect that person, I get that book. Let's get a couple of recommendations out there so our readers can go into that as well. What are your two favorites? Yeah, so on the real estate side, there's a book by James Kamasami, who is one of my mentors on passive investing. And it is the best explanation of what is passive investing. And even an experienced syndicator can read it and get the value of it. And then I think on syndication, Joe Fairless is best ever syndication book. It really is the best ever. It's really good. And then on the motivational side, love him or hate him. I'm a big Grant Cardone fan. 
Some people hate him. Some people love him. But you got to do 10x. Do it in audible because he's just got so much energy when he presents it. And then the follow up to it and even better than is be obsessed or be average. But you have to do them in that order to make sure that you're getting it. And so what I try to do is I try to mix my books up in three different categories. So I try to always have a real estate book that's new that, you know, gives me, and sometimes it's really basic, you know, and then sometimes it's really deep one. Then I try to do a personal development one. And then every once in a while, I, I don't want to say human interest, but like, like an autobiography, right? I just a few months ago finished Elon Musk, you know, and it's just yeah. uh, fascinating. The one that I still haven't listened to, somebody recommended Winston Churchill's biography. It's 56 hours long. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, that's like a lot of commitment for a book. I think I'll have to wait for an international flight or something. Or you'll but, have uh, to start investing in New York and drive all the way to New York, right? And maybe that's it. But, uh, <laughs> I try to vary it a little bit to what I listen to. It kind of gets me. And then I do the 10X and be obsessed to be average twice a year. Uh, force myself at the beginning of the year and about the middle of the year, kind of, um, I find it very motivational to reset me to drive for excellence. That's amazing. I'm also going to add the books into the description and the link to wherever you tell me to right? so people can access that. Great recommendations, by the way. I'm a big fan of uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Yeah, I, always, I, always, I always go back to this one. It just taught yeah, me so much. I literally had to listen to four times before I really got it. Yes. Like I would like listen to it and then I'd go, okay, wait a minute. I got to listen to that chapter again and try to put, because I'm, I'm always like eager to jump in and speak and some of the things and found it very challenging. And I'll be honest, there, there were two books that I still can't live up to. It's the one thing. Um, and it talked, and you know, even though I'm very obsessive, I'm somewhat to ADD, I'm all over the map. And then who, not how. I really have struggled with delegation. So those were two books that I keep saying, okay, I got to read again and see how I can apply. Yes, yes, definitely. And again, I'm I'm listening to Chris for the third time now. So I know I yeah. know how you feel. Awesome. Okay. So um, and we have two more questions. One of them is something I always do. I call it the closing question. It's super fun. But just before that, are there any trade secrets, or I like to call it the secret sauce you're willing to reveal to our audience? Anything that you think is unique in your secret sauce? You know, I think mine is just putting yourself out there, like constantly putting yourself out there as a resource. A lot of people call you and say, what, what, um, can you do this for me? And I always say, Let's, my secret sauce is approached the other way. What can I do for you? How could I help you? You know, what, what I see you're looking in Texas. What, what do you need? How can I bring you some value? I guess I would say that's my secret sauce. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. The power of networking and, you know, just doing good for other people. I love yeah. it. It's, it's great. Okay. Closing question. You ready? If you could go back in time, what tip would you give your younger self? Oh, start investing in real estate earlier. Oh. You know, somebody's sitting in the shade today because somebody 20, 30 years ago planted a tree. You know, I didn't start till my mid fifties and I see some young people in their twenties and early twenties starting. And I'm like, man, they're going to be super set up. I mean, my lady yesterday, she's been retired. She's 45. She's been retired for five years, a hundred percent living on her passive investments. Wow. Um, you know, and I'm just like, wow, you know, <laughs> yeah, so start, start, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. 
Amazing. Amazing. Okay. And this is our part where I call it the shameless plug. This is where you can talk about yourself or people can reach out to you. What are you looking for right now, which can sometimes help with the community. And yeah, if, uh, and it will put all that in the description as well. Yeah. So for me, I'm looking to be a partner in Texas for people that want to do deals in Texas that need boots on the ground, asset management here. You know, so I'm looking for partners that have, you know, similar vision to me wanting to do things. And, you know, there's definitely some people I'm working with and I'm very happy. If you want to connect with me, like you mentioned, I'm very active on LinkedIn and Facebook. You got to sort of somehow uh, let me know that you're real estate though, because I get a lot of strange people. When you're active like that, you get a lot of weird invites. Um, And so I'm cautious if I look at your thing and there's no real estate or anything and no good connections of people in real estate, I often ignore you or I'll friend you for a minute. And then once you start trying to sell me Bitcoin, get rid of it. Um, <laughs> you know, and then my company is called, I'm from Niagara Falls in Canada. So it's called Niagara Investments. So my website is niagara-investments.com. And then my email is my initials, KTT at niagarainvestments.com with the dash in it as well. Amazing. Amazing. And yeah, the community people here always love to reach out and uh, find new opportunities. And yeah, that's going to be it for today. Thank you so much, Trevor, for the time. It was a big, big pleasure having you. And hopefully we'll see better better interest rates, better financing, and more real estate deals closing for you and for uh, the, the entire industry. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it.